From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Raise your hand if frequently you think, what if there were a school shooter today? Okay, so all of you raised your hand. This is something that is just a part Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's part of society. Reality. I feel like that's not school-specific. I think it's society-specific. Today, insight from six teenagers, some of them survivors of the STEM shooting. It's hard to see those same desks that were built for you to sit at and learn as your only defense against a shooter. He had books. I had the chair ready to throw because we were at perfect areas to throw stuff at the door. So I live five minutes from Columbine. I go to Arapahoe. I almost went to STEM. And this is insane. I think something that's pretty dangerous with social media nowadays is the overwhelming amount of comparison. People are comparing themselves to fake people. It's difficult for students who actually need help to reach out and get help. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. For me personally, I definitely don't feel as safe going to school anymore. This is Lillian, a 16-year-old who attends STEM School Highlands Ranch, which came under attack May 7th. Walking into the classroom that I was in during the shooting, it's not built to be some sort of fortress or defensive. It's built to be a school with open desks and lots of legroom, but it's hard to see those same desks that were built for you to sit at and learn as your only defense against a shooter. Lillian is one of three STEM survivors who agreed to sit down with us and, yes, share their experience of that day. But maybe more importantly, to help us understand what it's like to be a young person today in the era of lockdowns and in a state not only synonymous with school shootings, but where suicide is the leading killer of young people. We also invited three students from other metro area schools, like 17-year-old Aiden. We're not using any of their last names. Aiden goes to nearby Arapahoe High, which had a shooting of its own in 2013. So I live five minutes from Columbine. I go to Arapahoe. I almost went to STEM. And this is insane that it's all right here. And my parents say sometimes they wonder if there's a certain something, like a certain culture, a certain aspect to the South Denver metro area specifically, which is extremely specific, that warrants these Kind of things. I think yeah. you don't have an answer. Yeah, I, I don't, mean, I, I don't have an answer. No one has. It's, what, it's so hard. Yeah, what do you to, think, Lillian? I have to agree with you in that it just, even if you expand beyond school shootings to the Aurora school shooting, the theater shooting, you mean? Yeah, theater. no, the Aurora yeah. theater shooting. Yeah. Like in Colorado, especially, school shootings are so much more uh, present in the cultural conscience. Like the shooting at STEM happened only three weeks after we had a, like a Denver lockdown. Uh, like friend-wide yeah, yeah, lockdown with a woman from Florida. It's Colorado is an unfortunate Magnet? Hot, yeah, hot spot <laughs> for uh, yeah. uh, mass shooting violence. And I think that it's especially hard when only a couple of weeks after the 20th anniversary of the Columbine uh, school shooting that STEM had a school shooting because it feels a little hopeless that nothing has changed to stop STEM or any of these shootings from happening all over again. Our discussion, recorded at a library south of Denver, covered mental health, social media, arming teachers, and how surviving a school shooting changes you. Just days after we sat down together, there was the massive, deadly shooting in Virginia Beach. 
Confirmation that this isn't just a school issue, as one student told us, in a way that now feels prophetic. These six young people sat with me over pizza and soda as their summers began, before they headed off to camp or to visit extended family. And their answers to my questions and to each other's offer insight that's too rarely heard. I guess I'll just start by saying that we talk a lot about teens. (laughs) And we don't as much hear from teens. I want to know what's on your mind. A young man named Kai jumps in. He's 17, attends STEM school Highlands Ranch, and he's whip smart. We talked about computer coding and Norse mythology before the mics were on. He's going into his senior year at STEM, where his classmate Kendra Castillo was killed about a month ago. It's just very weird feeling, like something I've never felt before. It just felt like a dream, honestly. More like a nightmare, honestly. Did you feel like the drills that you'd done before help you prepare? Do you think they're a good thing? Sort of, I guess. I mean, they taught us what to do when it happened, but it never really occurred to us that it could actually happen. For me personally, it's a little different. I thought about the possibility of it happening before, and I think they're definitely helpful. STEM was somewhat lucky in having... Uh, fewer injuries because less classrooms were broken into and it's hard because in the room where the shooting happened it's not like the students had time to go hide under desks but I think that they're personally a good thing and I think that they have saved and can still save a lot of lives in school shootings. After um, the shooting did your school discuss ways to be more safe in the future or did they have more restrictive drills afterwards? That question comes from 15-year-old Nalia. She took a two-hour bus ride to be with us. She attends George Washington High School in Denver. And so her question is, what changed at STEM after two shooters opened fire? Lillian answers. We didn't have any drills afterwards. We stopped going to school for a couple of weeks, and then we went back for days that were two hours hours long with 25-minute long class periods. And so we haven't had anything else happen. You like, had two-hour days? Yeah. Yes. That was it. For yeah, they didn't want to have five kids, days. They didn't want to have kids stay there because some people were still emotionally distraught. So they had uh, help dogs and counselors there from the DA's office and stuff. Just there, they had certain hallways cut off, and so no one was there for very long. That voice belongs to 14-year-old Tyler, who just finished middle school at STEM, He has braces and brilliant blue eyes. He's from a military family and will be moving out of state soon. Tyler, you mentioned that you had a friend who was shot. Yes. That's horrible and also just so weird that you, at the age of 14, have had to confront that reality. How's your friend doing? Uh, They're doing a lot better, both of them. One of them got shot in the shoulder. The other was shot in the leg. They're both doing fine now. So Physically, maybe. Yeah, physically. They're both doing fine. Raise your hand if frequently you think, what if there were a school shooter today? Okay, so all of you raised your hand. This is something that is just a part mm-hmm. of, yeah, it's part of society. your reality. I feel like that's not school-specific. I think it's society-specific. Meaning you could get shot in a store, Nalia says. We first met Nalia at the memorial service for Kendrick Castillo, who died at STEM. He was into robotics, and so is Nalia, and she was invited to help show off one of his passions. 
Now, days before that memorial, there was a candlelight vigil for Castillo, sponsored unbeknownst to some by a gun control group. And students made news when they walked out of the event, saying adults were doing too much talking and pushing an agenda at a time when they really just wanted to remember a fallen classmate. They chanted. Mental health and its connection to social media ended up being a big topic of our discussion at the library with these six teens. It's something they don't think adults have a real grasp on. Here's STEM student Tyler again. When our parents were little, there was no such thing as a powerful thing that's more intelligent than the Apollo 11 in your pocket. It was just you had your calculator and you had your brain and you did your work. And now everyone has all these things around them that make it easier. You're talking about a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Why does that change the game when you're a kid? Well, personally, I've noticed since when I was a little kid, like when I was in kindergarten, no one had phones. And now at STEM, I'm seeing all these little kids walking around with iPhone XRs, XS, and I'm like, why do you need that? There's no reason for you, a kindergartner, to have that. A high schooler, yeah, but a kindergartner. Kai? Kindergartners don't really need that as much because their entire day is supposed to be made up of fun and, like, learning in fun ways. For high schoolers, everybody's constantly uh, stressed or depressed or something that's not really positive, and the phones can be a distraction. And in addition to that, high schoolers really don't get to see each other as often as kindergartners do, so they use the phones to communicate. What are the dangers of the phones, though? You know, I often hear about social media being... A place that leads to bullying and perhaps a cause to dep- of depression or an, an amplifier. What, what do you think? So one danger is that there's actually been a lot of people who have glorified school shooters and school shootings. Yeah. And I feel like that might have led to some people doing it for the glory, as messed up as that sounds. There's also, as you said, online bullying, which can lead to depression and definitely is a problem. But... It's really outweighed by the things that it helps people with in some cases. You think that the phones do more good overall? Yes. Madison? Madison is a 17-year-old from Castleview High School in nearby Castle Rock. She's been vocal on the issue of school safety, speaking at a Douglas County school board meeting about it. The same district stems in. I think something that's pretty dangerous with social media nowadays is the overwhelming amount of comparison. Mm. And people are comparing themselves to fake people, like... There's this girl who I work with, and she showed me a before and after picture of what she was posting on Instagram. And she's what people consider nowadays an Instagram influencer or Instagram model. She has a lot of followers. Yeah. What she posts gets eyeballs. Yeah. She's she's like 15 and has 3,000 followers. But she showed me a picture of her in her swimsuit in her pool. And it's like the before picture, she was like 10 shades lighter and 30 pounds heavier and... It's like she wasn't perfect in her before picture. And in her after picture, she's absolutely perfect. And if you look at all the comments, it's girls saying like, oh, my gosh, you're gorgeous. I wish I looked like you. And I think that's a scary thing in our society because so many girls and so many people in general are just wanting to be like these fake people that they see online. Now, was this an actual physical transformation or this was like doctored? No, yeah, she photoshopped it. She photoshopped it. Yeah. Got it. It's scary how easy it is to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I get that. Comparing yourself to others, it's really Mm -hmm. painful. I do it all the time. Yeah. What is that that adding to the mix here when we're thinking about 
school shootings or mental health? Well, I think if there's a whole society of teenagers who think that they're not perfect, that can get to your head. I mean, nobody's really perfect, but if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't look like this girl, or I don't have the same achievements that I see online from this person, then I'm not good enough. And I think that starts to create a society of people who are depressed. I just want to interject that it is most likely that people who have mental illness of some kind Mm -hmm. are not violent outwardly. It's often that they turn that violence inward. Just an important note as we talk about this in the context of school shootings. Oh, yes. um, But okay, so this is something you think adults don't necessarily understand about the world you're in. I think a lot of people try to put one, like find one source for all these problems and Mm -hmm. they kind of would blame the internet or social media a lot of the time. I, I don't think that's very effective a lot of time, trying to find one thing that you can solve to solve everything. I just don't think it's so much more complicated than that. It just doesn't work like that. Well, to both agree and disagree with you, Mm -hmm. uh, having the internet amplifies Mm -hmm. issues that were already there. But at the same time, I definitely agree with you in that I think the internet was a net good and amazing for the world in so many ways. Aiden, you're at Arapahoe High School where there was a shooting several years ago, but more recently, uh, the school's been in the news because of suicides. Yeah. What has been the impact on you? Yeah, so Arapahoe's been in the news a lot recently for a lot of different things. It's been kind of a crazy year at Arapahoe. Um, There's a lot of differing opinions at the school about how the school handles mental health and things like that. And personally, actually, I would say I do feel safe at school, especially because we've had a shooting before, and so I do feel very safe. They have a lot of security and things like that. But in terms of mental health support, there's been kind of a backlash against the administration, but there's also been a backlash against the backlash in support of the administration, and this is all within the student population. Kind of warring factions. Yeah, yeah, no joke. And there are definitely some issues, and there's there's clearly some issues. We had two suicides in one week at the beginning of the year, like, and it really rocked the school a lot, and like what you guys were talking about with the dogs and things like that, we had that, and we had a school shut down for a day to kind of deal with that whole thing. Like, so many of my friends are have anxiety or have depression or, like, get shipped off to rehab because of some drug issue or something like that. It's just... Um, This is Kai from STEM. One thing that I think we should focus on is how students are often afraid to actually seek the treatment they need. I've been in that place before. Uh, A while back, I almost, well, was, like, suicidal. Mm And when I got the treatment, it made me fear therapy because the treatment was just horrible for me, basically. I feel like we're not really acknowledging how it's difficult for students who actually need help to reach out and get help. Because Why help is it can, difficult, Kai? Uh, because it can be like expensive. Some people don't want to burden others. It can be... Do you mean burden your parents? Yeah, specifically my parents, yeah. You were afraid of burdening them financially, but... Uh, yeah, but they got me treatment, and it burdened them, and it didn't help me. And it could also be that they're afraid of seeking help for reasons like they don't trust therapists, they have a, they have a fear of doctors, or they're afraid that they'll be put into an asylum or some other area. Really, there's so much stigma and confusion that goes around about our mental health mm-hmm. system, and people who are actually depressed or suicidal oftentimes don't seek out the help that they need because they're afraid of it. I mean, you say asylum. We don't exactly have yeah. asylums today. Uh, what but, I mean, but that's kind yeah. of the view you're saying. Yeah. 
Does anyone else feel that way? Madison? Uh, I agree with what he said, where it's like people are scared to get help. And if you know that, if you go to your counselor and say, I want to kill myself, then there's a good chance you'll end up in some sort of mental hospital or your parents will be told. Or There's a scary thing about going to your counselor and asking for help. And I think that is a problem in our country where kids are scared to go get help. And so it's I interesting because like, people have talked about, well, put more counselors in the school. You're, yeah, doesn't help. What you're saying is that numbers might not be the only issue here, numbers no. of counselors. No, so, not, I, I think it could help if we had more counselors that were better and that actually cared about the students. And I'm sure the ones there yeah. care well, about the well, students. Yeah. Our, yeah. our counselors at STEM are quite good, I would say, but there is a problem where they have to... Some students won't feel comfortable going to them because they have to report to the student's parents, and the students might not want to bother their parents, and Mm -hmm. they also have to report to authorities. And as I said, some people are really afraid of getting the help that they need. I've never uh, struggled with my mental health, so I've never felt the need to reach out to my parents, but I feel... I that I would be comfortable if I did. And in fact, like after some happened, my mom was like, Lillian, do you want to see a counselor? And I was like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm good without it, mom. And she was like, please see a counselor. This so, was after the shooting. It's yes. Uh, she, she wanted me to. So I will, because she wants me to really, that's a lot of it. So I don't feel necessarily burdened in terms of that, mm-hmm. but I do think that one of the struggles is that mental illness is so, uh, insidious and correct me if I'm wrong but it can be a symptom of depression to feel that you are a burden on everyone around you and your loved ones and a desire to just come into yourself and not reach out and not bother friends or family so I think that a lot of the struggle is that it can be hard for the people to want to reach out for help. Nalia? And you said that you found uh, your mom is making you see a counselor currently? So I haven't uh, gone yet (laughs) she just wants me to. But like I mean, even though that if you personally aren't really distraught from this situation, do you feel like even just going to someone just to talk through issues is helpful even though you don't have a direct illness? Yeah, I do. And I'm actually, uh, my mom wouldn't make me make me if I didn't want to go. And part of the reason I do want to go is because I do find myself thinking about the shooting at STEM every day. And it's uh, not quite intrusive, but definitely sometimes I'm like, I don't want to be thinking about this right Right, now. And my mind's just like, here you go. What are the thoughts? I just think about what happened. I think about Kendrick dying and I think about what what would have happened if we had been in the hallway at the time, if it had been my room, just all the sorts of ways in which the shooting could have gone differently if one of my friends were shot. Yeah, all the what ifs and what actually happened. this is like somewhat related, but um, I hear what you're saying about all the thoughts and things that you've gone through. It seems like to me a lot more people get counseling and have therapists and they're willing to share. Um, I think that's a thought that even if you're not the most distraught, but if you are having those what-ifs and stuff, that's a good time to start getting help. Because if it were to go down, that means that you already have that support network set up. So uh, there's a fear of coming forward for some of you. How many of you have dealt with thoughts of suicide? So raise a show of hands. So just Kai at the table. How many of you have talked to other kids about this topic? Oh, that's all of you. What are those conversations like? Personally, I've had friends who were depressed and who I knew were self-harming. And I think that in terms of the stigma around mental health, the actual students in this generation are actually very open. Like, I think that if anybody's 
struggling with mental health, it's not necessarily as difficult for them to tell a friend. And I feel like the emphasis on a support network of your own peers is a lot stronger and that a lot more people maybe necessarily wouldn't feel the overall shame of having a mental health issue. I think that that's been somewhat destigmatized, and I feel like it's just an issue with seeking access to treatment, and maybe, as with Kai's experience, having good treatment. But that there's something about confiding in a friend that feels safer. Yeah. 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 Aiden, anything to add? Yeah, I would say I completely agree um, with what Lillian said. I think there's a lot of things that could be changed about the current mental health climate and the current mental health culture, and I think there are a lot of bad things about it, but I think one thing that has really come a long way and that I think is really great is people are very open about mental health, I'd say. And I think we just need to learn to harness that openness better and take that and turn it into action and something that can actually help heal these things. So. Our conversation with six Metro Denver students, including three from STEM School Highlands Ranch, continues in the next half hour with how they feel about the idea of teachers carrying guns and whether the survivors of the STEM attack will see their lives divided into before the shooting and after. But first, we thought it was important to address their fears about seeing a school counselor. Yes, counselors have an obligation to report, but if kids are afraid of being a drain on parents by seeking therapy, they should know there are options, says Karen Smith, president of the Colorado Association of School Counselors and a counselor in the Adams 12 school district. I could talk with your mom about what's available through their EAP services where they work, or we could refer you to Community Reach. Um, a lot of times Community Reach will scholarship students if they don't have health care, mm. or they will see them if they have Medicaid. If it is a student that has expressed suicidal ideation, a lot of times we can obtain six to eight visits with Second Wind Fund. After the deadly shooting at STEM School Highlands Ranch in May, students called out for their voices to be heard, and today we're hearing from them. At a library not too far away from STEM, we gathered three STEM students and three other area high schoolers. And there was a question I was really eager for them to answer. Do you feel an obligation if there were to be a shooting at your school, or again at your school, that you need to put yourself in the line of defense. Lillian from STEM? I'm not sure if in the first moments when it happened, if I could have had the same bravery that Kendrick did. And I think it's hard to know unless you're in that situation. But I would definitely feel a desire and a responsibility to try to help protect my fellow students. Kai? I feel that I would have an obligation should a shooting happen again and I'm in I'm in a position to try and stop it. I will try and stop it. There's this rush of adrenaline when you realize it's actually happening that you don't really feel any fear or like emotion really except for when you look upon it afterwards when you feel like the fear that you're supposed to be feeling then. Tyler um, I would have to agree with both of them. I would probably put myself in the line of defense. Personally, myself and my friend, let's call him an alias of Sammy, 
we were both prepared. Like, he had books. I had the chair ready to throw because we were at perfect areas to throw stuff at the door because of how the room was set up. And so we were ready to help protect our fr- our classmates because in that class is, like, that's where, my, like, my main friend group was. Like, nearly everyone was there, so everyone was ready to pretty much protect everyone. Hurl so, stuff. Whatever yeah. you yeah. could use as a weapon. Yeah, and so I would do it again. I I agree with that. Madison. I love so many of my classmates and teachers that I feel like if it came down to me having the opportunity to stop it, I don't think I'd think twice about doing whatever it took to stop it. Aiden? Yeah, that's a terrifying thought to have to even, like, think about that and think on that. Um, yeah, that's it's hard to answer. But, I mean, I think if a, in that situation you just do what you need to do when you almost run on instincts mm-hmm. in a way. Nalia? Ideally, yes. Ideally. That's an important word. Ideally. I mean, I would like to think that I would be the, quote, hero in the situation. Um, but it really just depends on your instincts in that moment. And I want to know until I'm in that situation. Have any of you ever heard a classmate talking about wanting to shoot up a school? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Madison from Castleview. What happened? Okay, so it was my first two weeks at Castleview High School, like, and I was sitting next to this guy in math class, and for a while he was talking about like how many guns he had, and all sorts of just like weird, disturbing stuff. And at one point he said, "Madison, when I come to shoot up the school, you're going to be the first one I kill." And he had like talked about his plans to shoot up the school. So I talked to the teacher about it, and I was like. Hey, can you move me away from this kid? Because he's very creepy. And my teacher emailed the school counselors and was like, this is happening in my class. Like, can you do something about it? And so it was first period. So the next day I showed up to school and she pulled me outside and she goes, the counselors are going to be talking to you today. And I was like, oh, good golly. (laughs) And I was sitting in a room much like this now where it was me and like six counselors, our school resource officer, they all just started asking me questions about it and what I had seen. So, like, he had showed me, like, actual plans of what he was going to do when he shot up the school. I told them everything, and a few days later, they called me in, and they're like, you're not going to have to worry about seeing that kid again. So He showed you plans? He said, you're going to be the first, and then he showed you plans? Yeah, and and he just talked about the type of guns he had. What do you mean, like... Or? No, like he had just written down in his notebook. And then he also talked about how he knew how to make bombs. And so he would, he would try to blow up part of the school That's before terrifying. he... That's yeah, wild. And it was my first like week at Castleview High oh School. I just moved from a rural town in Montana where there were, the high school had like 500 kids in it, maybe. And so I was thrown into this huge school. And in the first week, someone's threatening to kill me first when they come shoot up the school so who else raised their hand i got rid of them pretty i said i mean my friend was never another school she knew somebody who was making threats obviously not as serious yeah um so like i personally don't know that person but i've known people who've had connections like that Mm -hmm. i'd love to ask you about safe to tell so this is a program that was started in colorado after columbine it's an anonymous tip line and it's not just for school shootings but uh, if you're concerned about the mental health of a classmate um, and you can text and you can call, have you used it? Does I it make have. a difference? Uh, so one of my... Mrs. Madison. One of my like acquaintances, like kind of friends. We used to be friends. 
Uh, she posted on her Snapchat story a picture of her crying and said, I'm about to kill myself, and then put, like, a bunch of stickers all over it saying, like, I'm depressed, I want to die, all that stuff. So I screenshotted it, and I sent it to Safety Tell, and it took them, like, two hours, but the cops were at her house. I don't know if she was actually going to kill herself, but they got her help, so I think it's a pretty good program to use. Did but, she know it was you? Yeah, she knew immediately that it was me, which is kind of weird. Did she know that it was you because you screenshotted it on Snapchat? Probably. That's why, yeah. And, yeah. and was she mad? She was very angry. But I'd rather her be angry at me and end our friendship that we once had than her kill herself. So I feel like the benefits far outweighed the losing a friendship. Nalia? I think it is important to have a platform like that out there. Um, and I think... A lot of people who should be using it but don't are more scared about what their friends think of them afterwards and the fear of calling them out and stuff. Hmm. Um, But I think when you are in a standpoint where somebody is trying to commit suicide or something serious like that, it is important to have a line like that to be able to come to. Aiden? I've never used Safe to Tell before personally, but I know some people that have gotten Safe to Tell or, you know, however you want to describe it. Um, And I think it's been really great. I think there are some situations where if Safe to Tell wasn't used, there could have been some bad things that have happened. And I think because it's anonymous and because people aren't afraid, at least most of the time, of getting, you know, like found out or feel like they're telling on someone, it can really help when you're worried about someone you know. The subject of guns and gun control came up in our discussion with these teens. Several expressed how little hope they had that any meaningful legislation would pass, because the issue is so intractable, they say. The six we spoke with agreed it was an area that should be looked at, but weren't unanimous in exactly what should be done. Where they really lit up, though, was on this subject. Arming teachers. What do you think? No. 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 Teachers are there to teach. This is Nalia. They didn't get their degrees to be armed and have to deal with this whole new environment. And But I mean, there, apparently there are some teachers who would like to be armed. If they want to be armed, should they be? I think it makes the idea of school shooting become more prevalent in school when I think that you should just be thinking about learning. I understand that people would want to do that too, just in case that situation were to come up, but I think that having the guns present in a classroom or locked up in a cabinet might actually make it more accessible for a student to try grabbing a gun. Aiden? So there's all this talk about mental health and how schools can sometimes not be a safe place for mental health. And I think having armed teachers, I don't think that would be good for students' mental health. I know that wouldn't be good for my mental health. Um, When I'm in a classroom, if I had to look up at my teacher and know that they had a deadly weapon on them, I think that would be very detrimental to my mental health and how safe I felt at school and how relaxed I felt in the classroom and how much I wanted to learn and how much I was thinking about other things. So I think that wouldn't be conducive to mental health, which, as we've talked about, mental health is a huge issue. So, Tyler, what do you think from STEM? Um, I think it might be good and bad because, like you said, mental health would make it bad. But personally, where I was, I was one class away from where one of my friends got shot in the leg and so I think I would have felt a lot better if I had known down that hall there might be a teacher that had a gun because if teachers are armed 
I do not think any parent or student would be entitled to know that. I mean, parents might be able to, but I don't think students are entitled to know if a teacher is armed or not, because that would create, like what you said, the whole idea of anxiety. But but if it were anonymous... Yeah, you wouldn't know, and so... Don't okay. you think no. there would be backlash against that, though? If, I mean, if, if there was a rule that you didn't have to inform parents or students, don't you think parents would say, well, I want to know if I'm, my kid is in, yes. a, is in a classroom with a teacher who is armed? Yeah, so I think... What? Either don't tell them at all or just tell the parents and be like, do not tell your child because the students don't need to know this. What if I don't feel great teachers, about that. No. What if one of the but, teachers decides that he wants to shoot up the school, he or she well, wants to shoot up the school? I don't think it's difficult for any adult in the U.S. to get a gun, so I don't think it would make much difference if teachers were automatically granted them by the state or not because if increasing the number of guns in school would inevitably result in some amount of injury. Okay, uh, I think instead of arming teachers, we should be putting the correct amount of school resource officers in our schools. Yeah. Uh, according to the National Association of School Resource Officers, uh, there should be one school resource officer for every 1,000 students. Also, you cannot tell me that if someone were to walk into a school, a student of that school were to, or a former student, or to walk into that school and shoot at the school, you cannot tell me that a teacher that they once had would look them in the face and shoot them. I, I don't think that our teachers should be expected to do that. I think we're talking about what it would do for students' mental health if teachers had guns, but no one's thinking about what it would do to teachers. I feel like mm-hmm. what has our country gotten to that our teachers are supposed to stop school shooters instead of teaching us? Are you going to measure your life in, like, the time before the STEM shooting and the time after the STEM shooting. Tyler? No, I'm not going to measure my life like that because, like, if I dwell on that, that's all I'm going to dwell on for life. So why waste my life doing that? I only get to live once because I don't like focusing on what's going to come and what's in the past. I like focusing on the now because it just makes it a better place. Very wise. I wish I had that talent. (laughs) Okay, Lillian? From STEM? A bit of a different perspective than yours, Tyler, but I saw a quote and it's... Something like everybody lives two lives, their first one and the second one when they realize how limited their life is. So I feel like it will be a bit of a defining moment and split in my life and not necessarily looking back and dwelling on it often, but more now that before I was less concerned with my own uh, eventual death, (laughs) I guess you could say. Obviously, everybody knows that Anything could happen at any moment, an unexpected diagnosis, a car accident. But it definitely made me realize more vividly how life can be taken away at any moment. And I felt more concerned with things that now feel a little more trivial. Some things became more important to me, like my connections with friends and family. And some things, like, wow, cannot believe that's the thing you were most stressed about, Lillian. Like what? Uh, Honestly, just grades and tests and small fights. I was in math class, and my teacher, right before the lockdown announcement went into effect, was like, we'll be having a quiz Thursday. And I was thinking, like, ooh, a quiz. And then uh, it happened. So I think... And then you think, a quiz is the least of my worries this (laughs) week. Yeah, my life after the shooting feels uh, much more aware. (laughs) Mm. Kai, is there a before and after for you? I don't really think I'll think of my life as before the shooting and after the shooting. I'll think of my life as not during the shooting and during the shooting, personally. Because... That's how intense those moments were for you? Yeah. 
just it's very vivid, but at the same time feels very surreal to me. So I don't think I'll divide my life based on it, but there's definitely this point in time which doesn't feel like the rest of my life. Just having had that experience, it's a feeling you'll never forget. And you've spoken a lot today about it feeling surreal, dreamlike, not feeling like reality. But of course it is your reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite scary. And as I said, it still doesn't even feel real if I think back to it. The only time it actually felt real to me during the shooting itself was when we were being evacuated and they had us walk out through the middle school where the police had to break open the glass doors. And uh, so we had to walk over the glass doors of the office. How do you feel about going back to school? I don't really know how I will feel. I guess they will feel like resuming school after a tragedy. Not really much else I can say about it, because I don't really know that much else about what I'll feel. Yeah, I think that's a very understandable reaction. Lillian, STEM? Two things. Going back into school, I think everybody will be like normal, and then I think that we'll all have moments where we remember and realize the weight of what happened. And then the second thing is that I think, say, I'm even going to be taking uh, the AP test that I missed in June. I think it'll be hard to almost not not quite care, but think as much about school when something like this took place. Tyler, you were at STEM. You won't be next year. Is there a part of you that's relieved? I'm just curious. Um, partially relieved that I don't really have to step into the school next year. But it's also, how are people going to feel after this? Because I'm not going to be able to be there to talk with friends if they need it. Because hmm. one thing that helped a bunch of the students at STEM Heal was talking to your friends. Because they were there. They know what exactly what you went through. Because they went through similar things. Compared to talking to counselors that are like, they're trained to do it. Similar to talking with Columbine survivors. It was easier to talk for, to them for many students compared to talking with counselors. Because they had experienced the shooting. Themselves. Columbine survivors came to stand. Yes, kids? they came okay. to Mission Hills Church uh-huh. the day after the shooting. That was helpful. Yes, for a okay. lot of people. You're so sweet, Tyler. You you talk about not being there for your friends, but I think well, you're moving away. Your friends won't be there for you either, yeah. necessarily. At least not close. Yeah. So your mental health is important too. Yeah. Nalia, any final thoughts? I think personally from. I guess knowing people within the STEM community um, through first a robotics competition I am a part of, it, I think it woke, it woke me up to be more aware that this occurs. You are a robotics team player, just like Kendra Castillo yes, was. Yes, and that's how, I'm, that's how I got affiliated with this. Yeah, and you attended the memorial for I him. Did. Yes, um, and I just hope that people who experience that service with me will be able to carry the message that everyone has this selflessness within them. It just um, is a matter of how selfless you're willing to be. And I think that's really the message of uh, part of one of the messages within the memorial service. Um, So I think within my school itself, the rules or the counselors don't necessarily change, but I hope that the mindset will just because even though it wasn't in the DPS school district, it was around this area. I'm hoping that we'll be more aware because of that. 
That last voice belonged to Nalia, who's going into her junior year at George Washington High School in Denver. She's one of six teens on our panel about school safety and culture. We included three students from STEM School Highlands Ranch, site of a shooting last month. So Kai, Lillian, and Tyler. Also Madison from Castleview High School and Aiden from Arapahoe High. If you or someone you know is considering suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Line is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Someone will answer 24-7. It's free and confidential. Special thanks to producer Michael Elizabeth Sackis and audio engineers Matt Hers and Michael Hughes. This is Colorado Public Radio. Imports from Mexico are about to be slapped with new tariffs. President Trump hopes that they will force that country to stop illegal immigrants and drug trafficking at the border. A week before the tariffs are set to take effect, CPR business reporter Ben Marcus is looking into the potential effects on Colorado. Hi, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, the tariff is 5% on everything that comes to the U.S. from Mexico. And we should say that Mexico is Colorado's second largest trading partner behind Canada. Uh, What types of imports are we talking about coming into Colorado? So when I looked into this, I was actually surprised. It's it's a pretty diverse mix. At the top of the list is computer equipment, um, rubber conveyor belts, refrigerators, kind of common kits, kitchen um, items. The concern, though, is that Mexico will retaliate with tariffs on U.S. exports to Mexico, which would hurt beef and pork producers here in Colorado. It's really hard to quantify, though, because we don't know how Mexico will retaliate or even if these tariffs will go into effect at all. And then the tariffs on Mexican imports will rise uh, 5% over time, up all the way up to almost 25%. And again, these supply chains are so complex with products going back and forth over the border that it is really hard to tell what the eventual impact of all this will be. But it's a lot of stuff. It sounds like, yeah, that's what surprised you, Ben, is how diverse the trade is between Colorado and Mexico. Yeah, and I think there will be intense pressure from the business community because we're so closely tied together with Mexico and China uh, that these tariffs are a really bad idea. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce came out warning that this is not the right approach uh, for President Trump to take. So you mentioned that uh, the tariff could increase to 25 percent. I think that's by October. For his part, Mexico's President Lopez Obrador calls the plan a provocation that he won't fall for. Uh, I gather the impact is twofold. So higher costs for, say, uh, farmers and manufacturers, uh, which then get passed on to consumers, right, Ben, in the form of higher prices? What are you hearing? This was another surprising bit for me. I I just assumed that uh, businesses and consumers would share some of the added costs from tariffs. Uh, But recent studies on the tariffs that were implemented last year found that almost all of the cost was passed on to consumers. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce on Friday uh, said that the tax, if a 5% tariff uh, on Mexican imports were to go into place, the tax would be somewhere in the range of $17 billion. Uh, The president said that this is an effort to control illegal immigration and drug trafficking at the border. But he also tweeted, in order not to pay tariffs, companies will leave Mexico, which has taken 30 percent of our auto industry, and come back home to the U.S. 
Uh, how might the president's broader goals play out with regard to Colorado? So when I talked to economists, they said, first of all, this is a terrible way to create jobs in the U.S. If that's the way, if that's the the goal of these tariffs, um, if the tariffs create any jobs, they come at an extraordinarily steep cost. One study found that it cost about $700,000 for every job gained um, with the tariffs. So for Colorado, Colorado is not a big export state. It ranks near the bottom of the U.S. in terms of exports as a percentage of our GDP. Mm. But the concern that I'm hearing from economists is that a trade war of this magnitude, we're dealing with China and Mexico, if that slowed the national economy, Colorado is certainly not immune to that. You know, what I've heard all along from the agricultural community here in particular is that short-term pain is worth long-term gain. If it uh, improves long-term trade relationships, say, with with China. Uh, have you heard that as well, Ben? Yeah, and I've also heard a lot of concern about investing in the future if you work in agriculture. So even if you agree with tariffs and you think that there will be a long-term benefit, um, it still is a concern for right now. It, it, how, how much do you plant? When do you plant? Uh, what type of things do you plant? All those considerations are being had right now uh, at a time when the trade environment is, is very uncertain. So even if it leads to long-term gain, I think the concern is what to do in the short term. Uh. And do you think that plays out with what's happening with China and with Mexico? And does that just complicate those decisions? Yeah, I mean, it's already tough to be a farmer right now because low commodity prices, because of rising costs. And this is just another difficult element to put on top of what is already a difficult uh, industry right now in Colorado, probably Colorado's weakest industry. Thanks for being with us, Ben. Thank you, Ryan. CPR business reporter Ben Marcus looking into proposed new tariffs on imports from Mexico, how they might affect Colorado. Finally today, NPR Music recently held its Tiny Desk Contest. For a fifth year, unsigned independent musicians vie for a chance at an official Tiny Desk concert at NPR headquarters in Washington, D.C. And after months of watching entry videos, more than 6,000 of them, the judges chose a winner. I got a voice now Oh, I got power But I can't stand it It was the authenticity and songwriting of Quinn Christofferson of Anchorage, Alaska that ultimately won the judges over. But there were plenty of other entries that also got their attention, which they dubbed the Tiny Desk Top Shelf. And included on that list, Colorado singer and guitarist Grayson Earhart. that is so lush. This is Earhart's song, Boxed Odyssey. In his video submission, he performs alone in dim lighting. The NPR judges noted the folk rock grit of his voice 
and the distinctive slap-tap style of his guitar playing. Odyssey from Grayson Earhart. He's from Del Norte, Colorado. What a great town Del Norte is. And he's a top shelf entry to NPR's 2019 Tiny Desk Contest. That's Colorado Matters. Thanks for spending time with us at CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. I'll be